0: Hello, and welcome to the Human Entropy Podcast, a podcast where we can discuss the chaos, the adversity, and the triumph that is being human. I'm Felicia Parker. I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I'm passionate about sharing the resilience I see in other people that inspire me to chase what makes me feel most alive. This is a place to be a friend, a place to encourage, and a place to challenge. This is Human Entropy. Today, I'm thrilled that this episode is being released, especially because of the revolutionary and highly important time our country is facing, even though this interview was recorded before the civil rights protests began. My guest today is a humble but fierce leader for social justice here in our Nashville community, and I've been enamored with the work that she does in one of the prisons in Tennessee for a long time now. This interview took a little longer to become a reality, but I can confidently say my conversation with her was well worth the wait. I ask that you please listen with an open and a curious heart as we dive into the beautiful work that she does. Thank you for doing this. I'm so excited to talk to you. Um, You've been at the top of my list of people I would love to talk to for like over a year because I just (laughs) think what you're doing is so unique, so important, and pretty unheard of, at least for me. I don't know about other people, but this is a pretty rare and unique thing that you do. Um, and I just think that people need to hear about it and be inspired and encouraged and hopefully have different perspective. Because I know perception that people have of prison and how people end up in prison is so different from how they actually got there. Right. Um, or, you know, why they have to stay there, whatever the, the circumstances might be. If you are okay with it, I just want to hear if you want to say your name, where you're from, what led you to do what you're doing, um, what your ministry is called, all sorts of stuff. That's like a ton of things at once, but
1: yeah. (laughs) Yes, I'll just go for it. So I'm Joanna. I live in Tennessee, and um, I work for an organization called Wild Indigo Programs, and we provide programming inside a women's jail here in Tennessee. And we try to come up with really creative and attempt to- be therapeutic classes that are just out of the box, or things that people could do that they may not have even encountered on the outside that we can bring in to the local jail. So a lot of our women aren't actually sentenced yet. A lot of them are just awaiting sentencing and awaiting trial in the jail, which is also a very unique time to have them, because they could be going out on the street in a week, or you know they be, could be going for years, depending on how they're case goes. So we have them in quite a transitional period when we encounter them.
0: Yeah, I didn't know that you, I mean, all of the women that you work with are
1: in the process of having a sentence or? Some of them have been sentenced. Um, okay, I okay. think in this particular facility, it's somewhere if you have three or five years, you can serve there. So shorter term sentences, if they have longer, they will be transferred to a, just a prison. Rather okay. Than Okay. The mix. We have a mixed bag.
0: And so in this prison, this particular one, it's all women? Uh-huh,
1: yeah, okay. that we work with, yeah.
0: Okay, but in the prison itself, only women are in this prison?
1: Or they, it's- they hold men and women in this facility, but okay. they don't really cross paths. You know? Okay, got it. Got it.
0: So um, I'm really curious. My first question was, do you think you could pinpoint in your childhood or even, you know, was there like a defining moment for you where you, this kind of work has ever, you know, sparked your interest or do you think you could find a a time in your life where you're like, that was the moment where I really think I knew what I wanted to do? It's funny.
1: I didn't have anything like this on my radar. Mm -hmm. Um, Sorry for the sirens. Oh, you're fine. (laughs) When I was about five, I just wanted to be a missionary. Like I was actually writing sermons that I told my parents I wanted to go preach, which is just funny now because I hate talking in front of people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I just wanted to be a missionary when I grew up. And in high school, I got really into the Invisible Children campaign and their events and just thinking about trauma. And actually art therapy came from a lot of what I learned from them of how they were helping kids who had been child soldiers process their drama and the things they had seen. Mm. And so I did YWAM right after high school and ended up being in Ethiopia for three months. And we worked with a lot of teenage girls who were actively in prostitution and just their stories were wild to me as I was also a teenager. You know, yeah. it felt really parallel and, and incredibly different in so many ways. And through their own creativity, they wanted to start a coffee shop. And so we were actually able to help them start this coffee shop in their hometown. But I noticed that even with kind of seeing some of their dreams come to fruition, starting on their own, a different lifestyle, the way that they were treated uh, by people in their community didn't change. Um, mm. there was Still just a lot of judgment. And in that moment, I think I realized how one important creative solutions were Mm -hmm. Uh, for people going through trauma and creativity, but also that I wanted to study psychology more. So I got really into studying creative and therapeutic approaches to trauma Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and then ended up working at a psych hospital here in town and working at a residential facility for girls who had been abused or been through trafficking um, or similar stories that I had experienced. And then as I worked at the psych hospital, we ended up in a group of people meeting with the sheriff So my husband is really good friends with a guy who runs an organization called Send Musicians to Prison, and they do an incredible work. They play in max security facilities all over the nation and um, just remind people that they're not forgotten. And he basically wanted to do more for the women here um, where we live. And the sheriff was like, sure, do concerts, but I want you to write a program as well. And so he had just brought a bunch of women that he knew that he thought would be great to be a part of this work. And it just kind of like fell out of my mouth in that meeting. I don't even know where I had the confidence to do it. But um, I was like, I have an idea for a Bible study. (laughs) (sighs) And I think we should call it the wild ones. Because in my research on sex trafficking and therapeutic approaches, I had met with some women who felt like the church was missing out on so much of God's people. Who they named the wild ones, like Mm -hmm. the pimps, the prostitutes, the drug dealers. Mm -hmm. And as I was reading stories in the Bible, I was like, so many of them are those people. Like, these are the stories of the people that God chose. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, how, who better to tell those stories to than the people who would find themselves in the exact same scenario?
2: Mm -hmm. That
1: makes sense. Yeah. So that's where it came from. I was working a different job that just kind of fell into my lap. And so we just read a proposal of, what the Wild Ones Bible study would look like. And our sheriff was awesome and was like, cool, let's do it. Let's try it. I don't say no to anything. And all of a sudden I found myself there. <laughs> wow. So then
0: how many years have you been doing it now?
1: That was in 2016. So this fall, it will be four years that since we started our first Wild Ones class. Okay. And that was just a weekly class originally where we studied, you know, different stories of the Bible and had a concert once a month. And then eventually Somebody came up with the idea to turn it into a school. And so then we started launching that full time where girls would apply to our program. They would all be housed together and go through nine weeks of what we called the academy.
0: Yeah. Wow. (laughs) That's really (laughs) cool. (laughs) So you've been doing this for years. I guess I have actual questions written down, but hearing you say all of that, I mean, working with people that have gone through so much for so long, it sounds like, Mm -hmm. Um, and when you said psych ward, I was like, oh my gosh, how did she do that? Um, Not because I think that it's bizarre work, but because I would imagine it's really heavy. And I mean, even what you're doing now is really heavy. I guess my first question, just from what you just told me, is how um, has this impacted your well-being? being around stuff like this all the time, and do you feel like you're able to leave it at the
1: door? Right, that's a really great question because that's definitely where I'm at in my process right now. I think I have experienced a lot of secondary trauma just by being in proximity mm-hmm. to the amount of trauma that is, you know, whether it's someone living unhoused on the streets or someone who's been recently incarcerated or, you know, any of these contexts, I think I've really struggled between getting to a point of where I can enter into that place and be really soft and kind of walk alongside someone as they process their trauma Mm -hmm. and then turn it off. Or I've kind of been in this in between of like, how do I be appropriately affected Mm -hmm. by this? You know, I have major justice heart. So it's like, I'd say anger and rage and just frustration with broken systems and just cycles of violence and abuse can just you know, consume me sometimes, Yeah, but then sometimes I'll wake up and be like, you know what, that's a really appropriate response. And if this is a vehicle to bring more of the community in Mm -hmm. to end those cycles, then I want to be really affected and I want to be angry, but I want to do it in like a holy way. There are definitely times where I'm like, okay, I cannot feel another thing. Like I got to shut down or I'm going to burn out. And I feel like when I get to that point, what really revives me is remembering that like, Choosing to feel those things takes a lot of courage because it's not leaving them on the margins to feel those and to live in that survival mode. But it's kind of bridging that gap sometimes. But it's definitely a process (laughs) that I still not, you know, boundaries is something that I'm just constantly having to learn and relearn and rework and redefine in my life.
0: I think that that's a really good question to ask yourself though. Like what is, how, how can I let this appropriately affect me? Mm -hmm. I feel like if I were doing what you're doing, I'd probably spend the rest of my life trying to figure out the answer to that question. (laughs) But the fact that you're even aware of what you need to set in place for a boundary or like just knowing, okay, this is what my limit is for today. You know, that's in my opinion, very wise of you. (laughs) This is a, an interesting conversation for me because there's so much about prison and the process and Mm -hmm. how people end up in prison, why they have to stay there, why they are released, etc. Pretty much anything to do with it. I'm pretty ignorant too. So what is the most common unfair thing that Mm -hmm. is a fact about prison that you have seen with your own eyes?
1: I'd say there's so many difficult things about encountering this population. But one thing that really stands out is how much resources are tied to finances. So it's just, you know, one of our teachers that a lawyer told her, like, the justice system grinds on the poor. Mm. Wheels of justice grind on the poor. You know, the difference in someone being able to post bail or not, or having a family that's willing to post bail or not, you know, could determine months of incarceration. I think it's really hard to see sometimes the overlap. We're right now under the organization People Loving Nashville. So a group that my husband works with that helps people that are experiencing homelessness, brings food and clothing and that. And I will see so many of our students from a class that have been recently released back out on the streets, you know, or if they get booked for trespassing or something like that, see them back in. And just seeing how much overlap there is between mental health care, homelessness, incarceration, foster care system. It's so many of the same people. It's just different ways to kind of attack the same cycles, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I guess that brings me to one question I do have written down, Mm -hmm. which you kind of already answered. Privilege or demographics or being a minority or being poor in quotes that plays so heavily into who ends up in prison or who ends up having to stay. What does it look like for you when you do see the, the cycles continue to cycle on the same people? You get someone that's gone through your program and they're released and it's awesome and then they end up back in the same place they
1: were. Do you feel defeated when that happens? I think what's interesting about the role that we play as program volunteers is that we're not you know, caseworkers or social workers, we have this really unique role that we play relationally, of mm. almost being a place to air out mm. whether it's toxic spiritual beliefs that they've been told of how they're never going to get it right, or they're going to hell, or if, we don't hear a lot about their case stuff on purpose. Like, I don't want to know, yeah. you know, why you're in there, but
0: mm-hmm. what I
1: want to know is like, how do I partner with you in remembering yourself. We talk a lot about whether that's through making art or just being like what is the toxic spiritual belief that you have believed in can we just look at the bible together and see how god interacted with someone who had a story similar to yours and it's always better than they've been taught and it's always better than this really toxic shame or if you just check off this checklist god's going to let you out. You know, I feel like so much of what we're doing is dismantling that. And so sometimes When we've done the nine weeks of walking with a student through the academy where they learn the whole story of the Bible and just seeing how often people identify with the Israelites coming out of Egypt as slaves and ending up in the desert. And we talk so much, the Bible teacher will just kind of dig into that of like, what does that look like for you guys? Like, how do you relate to the Israelites in that? In that story, that's actually why we're called Wild Indigo Programs is because indigo is a bush that thrives in the desert. And so many of the girls will hear the story that God took Israelites out of slavery and put them into the desert and be like, actually, that's not harsh to me. I understand exactly what that's like. I was in the slavery of addiction. And God took me out and put me in a place where I had nothing. I had no pleasures to, like, escape from. And now I can get really, really honest with myself. And that's not, like, to advocate for, you know, that God put them in prison. I don't agree with that. I don't think anyone was supposed to go to prison. But I think the fact that they can identify that being in a place like that, where everything is stripped away, even, you know, their drug of choice, they're put in a place where they can't escape. And all they can do is unlearn the habits. That have kept them in the cycle.
2: Mm. And so
1: when they identify with Israelites and that of like, actually, we had to unlearn slavery in the desert, even if we do end up seeing someone that we've walked through with those stories come back, I feel like it's been a really beautiful, almost restorative thing of, you know what, we've actually talked about this before. The Israelites have done this so many times. Like, we know what God does when we go around the mountain again. He still shows up with that amount of acceptance and love. And so I'll bring, you know, a graduate who maybe came back in up to pray and lead the class because I feel like if anything, I have so much to learn from how God encounters them their second time around.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I don't know. It's been really beautiful and empowering almost to see how much they learn or come back as leadership, even if what it may seem and feel like a failure sometimes is actually a really beautiful encounter with a lot or they'll bring other people into class, you know, that they may not have seen or known the first time around. I don't know if that answers that, but <laughs> that's something.
0: <laughs> no, it does. That's a really beautiful comparison that I love. Um, I love that. Mm. And just made me have the thought, what does having relationships with them look like for you? And are you allowed to have relationships with them
1: after they've gone through your program or once they've been released? One approach has kind of been to invite them to come out to People in Nashville to volunteer. Mm -hmm. Uh, which has been super cool because it's partnering again with ending cycles. You know what I mean? Like they went through the program and then did their own work. And then we have an opportunity for them to participate in helping people who were in a place, whether they've been there or not, um, to lift people up in dignity. And then, We've actually had quite a few graduates come to church with me, which has been super cool because so many of our educators go to my church. So, you know, they'll come to church with me and see their nutrition teacher or see Pastor Alex preaching and she just taught them on a book she wrote, you know? And so that's been a really cool way to have longer term relationships with them. But actually, in the quarantine, We've been really wondering like what we could do as a graduate program, because some girls will graduate and stay in the facility or go to a different prison, you know, and we're like, how can we actually, like, we just unlocked so much together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Relationally, how do we almost like steward that? How do, how do we provide a safe place for them to kind of keep coming to us yeah. or to, you know, remember those tools that they had? And there just hasn't been like something that clicked into place yet. It's just been really like the academy is just all we can kind of handle at this point. Yeah. Um, But in the quarantine, we've actually had a lot of girls reach out because there were a lot of early releases. And so they reached out via the website and we started a Zoom class and we've only had two so far, but we've had about 20 to 25 people show up each time. And we'll have like someone play live music, just like we did in the facility. And then someone just teach the Bible or graduate share her story or something like that. And I feel like we never would have thought of that pre-quarantine to have a Zoom call class. Yeah. But now we have graduates who are in Florida and Arkansas and all over, you know, in place in hospital rooms and motel rooms and ways that we could never be able to have relationship easily pre-quarantine. But it's been a real beauty from the ashes of this because, you yeah. know, I feel like we're fostering this almost like online community support group class that we as volunteers need just as much as them, you know, because we yeah. worry. and. Honestly, we get filled up, I think, just as much as they do anytime we have class. When, I mean, when the world is normal, (laughs) not in quarantine, um, what does the nine weeks look like? Basically, the first class that we started, the Wild Ones, that was a Bible study once a week that's open call for anyone in the facility to come to. And we'd tell a story of like Rahab or Joseph, someone who was a sex worker, incarcerated, and just be like, how did God encounter them? which was really beautiful. And we had a lot of people coming to that. And then the last week of every month, we had a concert. And when we decided to make kind of the the heart of the Wild Ones into a full-time program, Nathan Lee, who is the founder of Send Musician to Prison, his idea was, why don't we make this school, the academy, mind, body, and spirit focused? So we would have three classes a day for nine weeks. So Fifteen classes a week. And all of the morning classes are spirit focused. So it will either be going through the nine week study of Genesis to Jesus, Mm -hmm. or they go through and do a genogram of their life of like birth, who their parents were, who their grandparents were in the lie they believed when they were 12 years old. So that's kind of their morning. So this is intense. And then the second (laughs) class of the day is mind focused. So we'll do everything from financial peace and budgeting, nutrition, fitness boundaries, creative writing, all of that kind of stuff is mm. the second class of the day. So all of that is before lunchtime. <laughs> and then wow. this last class of the day is uh, body focus. So we'll have Pilates, yoga, we have a songwriting class, all of the kind of wind down of the day yeah. classes. And then they actually go to the wild ones class. That's open call. We call it wild ones of the Bible now. I <laughs> <laughs> love that. Something too controversial. <laughs> um, but they know we kind of will recruit for the academy in the Wild Ones class. And a lot of people who are coming to hear the stories of the Bible know how deep it gets. And kind wow. of part of us being like, you don't have to be a Christian, but we're faith-based. And we want this to be a safe place for you to ask the hard questions. Yeah, Because a lot of people have been told you can't question God. You can't ask anything. Mm-hmm. And so I think once they realize that we're not that rigid we're actually like, hey, we want to be a soft place for you to land and to wrestle because that's who we know God to be is someone who can handle the hard questions and for you to grieve with. Then I think a lot of times when people do apply for the academy, they kind of realize what they're stepping into. And we tell them like, this is going to be a marathon. Like this nine weeks is as much as you put in, you're going to get out of it and it will change everything. And a lot of my friends on the outside are like, uh, can I take all these classes? And I'm like, you have no idea how bad I need every one of these classes. So every time we go to school, I'm doing my own work too. Yeah, honestly, you're moving <laughs> off everything. And I was like, almost in tears, like, I Sorry. need that. <laughs> wow. So you are there all day? Yes. When the academy's in session, it is full on for me too. Okay. So it's like nine to five situation or you're there eight is the first class and then we're done at three 30.
0: Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's full time. You're doing
1: it. <laughs> yes. man. so, um, I'm
0: a little bit more curious. I'm curious about so many things, but <laughs> how
1: many staff members are a part of your program or the Academy? Actually, all of our educators are volunteers, which is a total oh, miracle. Geez. It feels like God has just assembled this army. Like there's no way that when we first were putting together this idea that we could have understood the amount of excellence and quality and just people are so ready to give and to pour into the women that apply to this. Mm. I'm blown away every time. Yeah. So then is it different people that are volunteering each day or week? So each class pretty much is a different teacher, all 15 other than the Bible class. and She teaches three days a week. Okay. But you are there every day. Yes, I'm kind of problem solving if anything goes wrong or we can't okay. get, you know, what yeah. we need in that day or, you know, we're, we're not allowed in the facility that day or something. I'm just kind of a facilitator. Facilitator of the facility. Yes, part <laughs> of our program, at least. There's a lot of <laughs> other programs, too, that are awesome, you know, and we don't cover as much mm. addiction-focused stuff. Mm -hmm. And so it's really cool also to partner with some of those programs and be like, once you finish the academy, you should totally go look into that. Or people who have done the addiction work that want to explore some more faith-based understanding will come to our program, which is really cool partnerships throughout that whole program scene. I didn't even know that there are other programs.
0: I don't know anything about this kind of (laughs) stuff, but it's so... Awesome. And I remember the first time you told me about it. Do you remember when you came into Franklin Juice when I was working there? Yes. And you were like, we have a concert in jail today. (laughs) I I feel like I looked at you like, (laughs) like, Johnny Cash, is that you? (laughs) That's amazing. But what are some, if you're allowed to tell me what some of the other programs are, because surely, I mean, someone's doing this hopefully for men as well. Men of
1: Valor is like, huge program in Tennessee that they just have incredible work I mean Mm -hmm. they are goals you know they've been Mm -hmm. decades doing this and there are a lot of people who have been going in for decades just I think our educators once they come in one time they want to do the next school and they want to do the next school and it's so amazing it's almost like once you get a taste of what it's like in there and how hard people are working and how worthy they are how much we have to learn from them I feel like people just can't stay away. And a lot of the programming, I think have done that for a long time. And Our sheriff is amazing. He has so many creative program stuff. Our program director is amazing. And I've heard there's a lot of facilities that are really trying to do more trauma-informed programs and stuff, especially in California. Nate was telling me he went into one where they you know, had inmate-run newspapers and just a lot of really creative ways of expression in there. And obviously, you know, we wish that there was alternatives all around, like the best case isn't incarceration, but it is really, really cool to see how community mobilizes to bring dignity and tools to people who really, really are brilliant and can use them. There was something that you
0: said earlier about creating this safe space for these women that come in mm-hmm. um, to ask the hard questions. What is one of the most difficult questions you've heard someone ask, if you're allowed to tell me?
1: I think where was God mm-hmm. when blank is such a huge question, and yeah. I would be very bold to say that, you know, 100% of the people who have, I've encountered in this program have been through significant amount of trauma and abuse. Mm-hmm. We have a whole section where we go through the Psalms and the Proverbs and my sister-in-law and the teacher Amanda do an amazing job coming up with this whole week. But basically they go through and they say, write down all of the arrows that have pierced your heart. Like what is the wounding when you look at God and you're like, how could you, Mm. where were you? Why didn't you, why was it me? you know, all of those things that are just still like a knife in your heart. I want you to write them out and I want you to ask them to God. And then we read through the Psalms and how much of David's Psalms are like those exact questions. Mm -hmm. And then the second part of their assignment, after they write out all the arrows is write What they have learned so far about who God is, write it out as a metaphor or simile. So God is a, a lion. God is like a waterfall things that they've learned through the story, God hovers over the darkness before he even creates the world. It says the spirit hovers over the darkness. And so they'll write out their questions then they'll write out what they've learned about him so far. And it is one of the most beautiful and harrowing weeks because almost every time their question isn't answered, but the safety of asking it and then the response of just looking at who he is, it meets in just this unexplainable way of, I feel like he comforted me. I feel like he spoke to me. Feel like the image I had of him was a direct response to the question that I asked, and so I've learned so much, and I feel like I've been able to grieve so much of my own loss while sitting in that room with them processing yeah. it. It's so powerful.
0: I mean, it's it's powerful just hearing about <laughs> through a Zoom call. Who
1: are you people? <laughs> I'm telling you, I need never come up with this stuff. Oh, my goodness. We have a teacher also, Evan Barbie. She's an incredible Enneagram educator and coach in Nashville. And she's developed this a- amazing class. And a lot of times our students will call themselves the Wild Ones just because that was the original name. Mm-hmm. Um, and her class is called Wake the Woman. And mm. she teaches. she's kind of the person we got the Remember Yourself language from. and. Yeah even the Enneagram has become this super powerful healing. I mean, I'm sure it always was throughout ancient history, but I've just seen the girls find so much healing and even validation and going through an Enneagram class in there, yeah. you know? And there's so many tools that we could all take for granted or books that we can all take for granted that in that context, when given that tool in the middle of a crisis or survival, these people are just taking them and running with them and taking them further than I ever have. You know, I've heard concepts come out of our students' mouth that I, in three years of therapy, haven't got to a point of understanding. You know what I mean? Like there's just this depth and richness in the context of this class that I wish everybody could sit in and learn from.
0: Yeah, I want to sit and. (laughs) You're doing all this work, and it's it is hard and it is heavy, but it's so rich and fulfilling. And when you're in it, you're like, yes, this Mm -hmm. there's there's seeing their purpose, they're remembering themselves, that's really cool that you are speaking life and truth with a biblical approach, but also it sounds like a therapeutic approach as well. I would like to know, do you have a favorite moment, one that comes to mind, or maybe like a very powerful one? Mm. And then also, because I'm afraid I'm going to forget it, how long do you see yourself doing this kind of work?
1: Mm. Great questions. I'd say if I had to boil it down to- I always ask our students, is there one class, like if we did do a graduate program that went on forever for the rest of your life, what's the one, you know, and they can't ever choose one. Both of our Bible teachers are Jamaican, which just means both of them are incredible storytellers. So <laughs> most of us lean towards the Bible class because it's just so, you like feel it in your bones. But I think what has surprised me that really had such an impact on the academy was our floral arrangement class. Uh, that's one of our like body classes and we have an incredible lady who runs a floral shop here in Nashville and she will bring in all kinds of flowers and just help them do arrangements bouquets flower crowns and it is such a powerful moment one to bring in live flowers into the setting yeah. it is almost just this poignant picture of life in a dying place you know where there's like Stinky smells, and then this giant orchid coming walking through the halls. You know, everyone just stops and looks at it. The visual of that, I feel like, has unlocked so much in the room, whether it's remembering a funeral and flowers, whether it's remembering their wedding day or hoping for a wedding day someday, or when we make flower crowns, we'll read the Isaiah pas- passage, or he will give you a crown of beauty for ashes. And it's just this haunting picture of like, well, the floral arrangement teacher asks, like, what do you? hope comes out of these ashes you know in teaching you to dream again with this visual of like wearing a crown like you are walking down the aisle on your wedding day and yeah it's been haunting or you know there'll be like a a crushed rose or something that will throw in the discard pile and I remember the very first class somebody got up and was like "Uh uh-uh no way that is not going in the trash it's going in the very centerpiece of my bouquet because that's me I was the flower that was thrown in the bin and I want this flower to be the middle of it I want everyone to see its beauty." I mean, just the ability to connect things and yeah, I'm blown away every time. Wow. That is an incredible picture. The other class that has been really surprising is Boundaries. It's like the Cloud and Townsend book that... Yeah, I have it. (laughs) I need to read it 25 more times, but (laughs) I wasn't sure how that would go over because a lot of it, you know, is like, this lady is overcommitting to Bible studies. And you know, the context of that is sometimes very unrelatable <laughs> to someone mm-hmm. yeah. in this context. But I found it just to be this, it just cuts straight to the heart. Like the laws of boundaries and the law of sowing and reaping, of when you just keep reaping other people's consequences mm-hmm. and never letting somebody reap what they sow. It can hit so hard sometimes. Gosh. But one girl just took that and was like, you know what? I have been covering for someone in my life for so long and I'm taking his charges and taking his charges and for the first time in my life I'm going to stand up for myself and I'm going to tell the truth I'm not going to take his consequences anymore and just seeing the absolute real life intimidating consequences of choosing to walk out these laws where for me it may be a lot less of a consequence but they're choosing something so deep and powerful by grabbing a hold of these things is so inspiring to me and that is not one that I thought I would see play out that practically. And it's just been an incredible freedom tool for them. I think your other question was, how long do I see myself doing it? Yeah. I think that is a tough question. I think my dream and all of the educators' dreams is that graduates would come back and teach all of these classes and run this whole thing. How much we have learned from them and how they have made this into what it is and how God just raised up this army of people. It just feels like an army, like a community community just yeah. rooting for each other. And I think the ultimate dream would be that all of us work ourselves out of a job and that all of our graduates could be the ones, you know, they have the authority to be like, I sat in this seat and I sat where you're sitting and I walk these things out to a degree that I personally never will be able to say. And so I think my dream is that <laughs> I could put this down real quick and just watch them run with it. That's amazing. <laughs> You made me cry,
0: (laughs) not in a bad way, but I don't care how long it took or our schedules were so conflicting or whatever it was for real. I do the same. This is stupid, but I do the same thing with my food. I save the best for last (laughs) Um, and you definitely won't be the last interview I do. But there's a reason you were on my mind when I got the idea for this podcast, because I mean, I didn't know any of that. I just (laughs) knew that you had an organization or, I mean, it's your job. You do it full time. I knew that you went into prisons and Mm -hmm. you told women that they were worth fighting for their lives. And that's really the extent of it. That's all I knew. That's just that, especially that picture of the flowers going inside a place that when you imagine it is scary and cold and not homely at all. I don't know. That's just really creative and cool and such a beautiful picture to imagine
1: Mm.
0: flowers in a place like that and then the impact that something as simple as flowers can have just being in a room of a place Mm -hmm. like that that's such a cool picture and I really appreciate you sharing
1: yeah I feel like it's just such a tangible like in the church you may hear walk in the opposite spirit all the time Mm -hmm. but when you see it like that viscerally yeah. <laughs> just change things and stop people in their tracks or you know one student even said it makes all the difference in the world to know that I'm going to wake up today and hear someone call me by my first name
2: mm-hmm. like it
1: makes me get up and get out of bed and go to class like it's something as simple as that you know you don't have to be a complete like I have no business you know I'm not like an incredibly trained you know it's like just being willing to wake up and show someone dignity every morning is that transformative that just blows my mind
0: Yeah. So you're probably just, I mean, well, actually, I don't know. Quarantine is different for everyone. (laughs) Are you just like taking this time and rolling with it? And you're you're thriving, having a break for a second of having to go into the prison? Or are you just dying to get back?
1: I definitely miss everybody so bad, like, especially we normally have a big Easter concert and that was really sad to miss, but I think the fact that we're having this online community rise up has been so fulfilling. Yeah. And I feel like it, it, there's just something new, you know, springing yeah. up. And so that's really exciting as much as I miss everyone that's still in there. But other than that, yes, I have just been laying in the sun and gardening and reading <sighs> and processing, you know, a lot of the last four years. And yeah, I'm just so grateful. I mean, it's been hard, hard time for everybody. But I have definitely seen a lot of beauty come out of the, this time for me and in my own pace of life. Definitely. That is so much to marinate on. And <laughs> all of what you just
0: shared is so rich and so important and people need to hear it. And
1: thank you so oh much. Oh my
0: gosh, I can't. I'm, I'm just so <laughs> glad that we finally got to have this conversation. Me too. Is there anything else that you think people should hear? I
1: think people should remember how many brilliant incredible talented minds are in that place and how much we need them. We need to learn from them. The church needs them. I feel robbed when I think about how much these brilliant incredible minds have been stifled and mm. robbed from. You know, we've all been robbed by not by the lack of having them in our lives and I think moving closer in proximity to anybody that is marginalized if you have lived a life that's not in the margins you will only grow from it and you actually really really need it
0: if you like what you've heard and want to support this project if you're streaming on spotify it'd be amazing if you follow the podcast and download each episode as you stream them if you're listening on the podcast's app please give this show a five-star rating and it will help out immensely. Most importantly, of course, share these episodes with the people that you know. The theme song and audio production by Tip Frank, podcast artwork by Sierra Scott, Lydia Massey, and Kinsey Maroney. I appreciate everyone who's taken the time to listen to this. Until next time.